Oh my god, what am I doing? Hello, welcome to Just Thinking Out Loud. My name is Desiree. Today I am chatting with Scott Veritas. I was recently on his channel. He had reached out to me, I think on Twitter, and he was a little bit persistent. So I really respected that. And I was like, yes, I will talk. And then while we were having our conversation, uh, he started talking about his background in politics and I was interested in it, but it was kind of a tangent to the conversation that we were having. So we had the thought to have him come on my channel and, and continue the conversation here. I think that you guys might find what he has to say interesting and I will let him get into it on his own first by introducing himself to you guys. Yeah. So thanks, Desiree. I, I still remember when we were having our conversation that you were like, oh, that sounds really interesting when I mentioned kind of my journey from being a, a democratic political operative to more of a centrist commentator here on YouTube. So yeah, I'm a YouTuber and a podcaster. It's Scott Veritas. If you look that up on YouTube, you'll find me. And the podcast is Red Pill Nation. Uh, basically, my story that you, you seemed interested in has to do with sort of the story of a lot of people in the intellectual dark web kind of culture war space. Um, I think that one person that people might compare me to if they heard my story would be like someone like Dave Rubin, who also went from being kind of a uh, progressive person on the left to being more, I think Dave is a little to the right of where I am now, but certainly I've moved to the like further to the right than I was, even if I am more in the center. The story sort of starts where I was a teenager and like many teenagers in the early to mid 2000s, uh, I, I'm 25, so we're, we're talking like around 2010, let's say I'm like 15. Like many teenagers around that time, I became an edgy atheist. And <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was an edgy atheist kid, so I was very much part of the kind of new atheist agnostic left movement. And I still am an atheist. I, my views on religion have softened a lot, though. Like, I used to kind of be an anti-theist where I actively hated religion, and I still don't like kind of the idea of religious dogma. But that's kind of maybe something for a little later. In any case, I was very much new atheist, kind of Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens type, uh, and ended up identifying with the left largely just sort of on the back of that. I really supported same-sex marriage. I still support same-sex marriage, um, but really just kind of on the basis of those two things, because if you are non-religious, you sort of inherently at that time and probably up, yeah, still continuing would be for same-sex marriage because most of the opposition on that issue came from kind of a religious place. So I ended up identifying with the left really just because of the gay marriage issue and the religious stuff, because in the US, the right wing is really associated with fundamentalist Christianity, or at least it very much was until the last like five, 10 years or so. Um, with kind of the new right or whatever you want to call it, whatever's going on with Donald Trump. <laughs> um, but in any case, I was solidly on the left when I went to college. And now we're talking like 2013. Uh, I was too young to vote for Obama, but I support Sorry, him. did you say 2013? Yeah, 2013 is when I went mm -hmm. to college. So, and that, that year actually is really important because when I went to college, I mean, it was 13 to 17 for my bachelor's. And Basically, I was there for all of the really big, like right in the middle of the culture war moments. So like Gamergate happened while I was in college. The Ferguson riots happened while I was in college. The Baltimore riots happened while I was in college. Donald Trump was elected president while I was in college. Um, Adpocalypse here on YouTube happened while I was in college. And that started to kind of reshape my political views a little bit. I had never been, even when I was like a hardcore Democrat and to give more background, when I went to college, I immediately sought out the college Democrats and was elected to their executive board. I was very involved with politics. I knew a lot about it. And so they put me on the executive board. I started turning in congressional offices on campaigns. I became like a Democratic operative, worked on campaigns, did all that while I was in school. And I, uh, I worked my way up to the point where I was actually, I became the president of the College Democrats, and then I became the president of the College Democrats, not only at my school, but actually of the state that I was living in at the time. So I was pretty up there. I was a big kind of like young democratic activist and operative. And 
the whole time that this was happening, though, in the back of my mind, I was becoming more and more concerned with what you'd probably just refer to as identity politics, which was this weird thing where I had grown up not liking kind of religious fundamentalism on the right with kind of Christian fundamentalism being uh, against same-sex marriage, which was something that I thought was kind of a little ridiculous and something that should be legalized because I just really didn't see the argument against it. Um, and I noticed this kind of religious mindset on the left, though, that was in many ways worse than what I had experienced on the right uh, with with Christianity, which I've kind of softened on now. Um, and that was this identity politics thing where my peers on the left in college, as things like Gamergate and the Ferguson riots and Donald Trump's election were happening. Oh, and Caitlyn Jenner uh, coming out as, as transgender. That was another big one. As these things were happening, all while I was in college and all while I was very steeped in left-wing politics because I was a democratic activist, I noticed this very weird thing where I would push back a little bit on some of the more ridiculous elements of what other activists were doing. So for instance, during Gamergate, I was like, no, gamers are not sexist. Like this is kind of a weird thing. This feminism thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The wage gap is, you know, nonsense, all of that. And then during the Ferguson riots, I was like, actually that particular uh, young black man who was shot was trying to kill a police officer and that's why he was shot. It's very tragic, but I don't know why there's all this rioting and we're justifying the rioting and people were, they were protesting on my campus and marching into the president of the campus's office and screaming at him that there needs to be more racial equity, um, which obviously has persisted and eventually culminated in the evergreen meltdown with Brett Weinstein. And I would push back on that. I pushed back. This, this was a really interesting one was when like Caitlyn Jenner kind of spurred the whole transgender thing. I pushed back a little bit on the idea um, that sorry, like- Sorry, can I people, pause you for a second? Yeah. I was gonna ask you, um, but I think you might take a while to, to tell your story. Um, so are you saying that it was that you went to Evergreen? And if you're not comfortable saying where you went to- No, I did not go to Evergreen. I did not go to Evergreen. Yeah, no, I don't wanna- oh, Okay, so I'm yeah. wondering, if you don't wanna say where, could you give a sense of the size? Um, it was a big public school. Yeah, if I say where, I think, yeah, I, I, I try to avoid some of the more personal details, but it was a, okay. it was a large school. <laughs> I'll leave it. It was not evergreen. Yeah, I could see how that could be misconstrued. Yeah, the, the rate, what I mean by that is just that the types of things that culminated in the evergreen meltdown, those kinds of protests were going on all across the country, actually, leading up to evergreen, including at my school. Okay. Um, so thank you for that clarification. Yeah, that's an important yeah. note. I did not go to evergreen. You were, um, you're, you were talking about Caitlyn um, Jenner. Yes. So basically... One of the biggest things that started kind of my awakening and realizing that something really bad was going on on the left was uh, when people started saying like, oh, we should talk about our preferred pronouns. Uh, when I was in like classes at college, they would like open up with that. They'd be like, what's your name and your preferred pronouns on the first day of class? And I'd be like, it's that kind of a weird question. Like I'm, I'm obviously male. My pronouns would clearly be he and him. I don't know why you're asking me that. Like, it, was, it you know, it struck me as odd because for many, many years, it was considered rather odd. And really over the course of the past five years or so, it's become less odd as people have kind of adopted it. But uh, I would argue with people a little bit about like just kind of the whole nature of transsexuality as a concept. And it'd be like, you know, can you really change your sex just based off of a feeling or based off of you know, just trying to have that conversation because I'm kind of open to it. I understand that they've done like brain scans and that there is some legitimacy to the idea that, you know, people have that this issue with gender dysphoria and all that. But as I pushed that issue, there was the subtext to the conversation, just like there was with conversations about Gamergate, about the Ferguson riots. There was this subtext with the people I would talk to who were also on the left that I was somehow bigoted for questioning just questioning kind of the narrative of what was going on as it regarded to, you know, social justice and identity politics. So this persisted through the 2016 election. And then basically Donald Trump wins. The left goes completely nuts. There are these riots all over the place at UC Berkeley that continue to get me to go like, okay, well now we're justifying violence. We're saying that people can't go to campus, Ben Shapiro and Milo Yiannopoulos, and we're going to burn the whole school down if they come. So, which is a very anti-free speech and I'm a huge free speech advocate and always have been. So basically this kind of gets us to now, because that was like what, 2017. And just for the past few years, I've just been watching as all of that kind of identity politics stuff has 
gotten way worse. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and it keeps getting more entrenched than our institutions. It's turned our media into a group of activists uh, who are just lying constantly to the American people. It's turned our academic institutions into a joke, into a place where students are mollycoddled and are told that every little concern they have is some kind of end of the world scenario where speech equals violence and you can have a riot and not suffer any consequences. And now there's this thing going on with big tech where they're censoring voices and they could censor voices like you and me. So basically, I'm kind of in a space where I've really, really harped down on these issues. I don't really care as much about like same sex marriage. I mean, that's a settled issue at this point, you know, that kind of thing. And I've kind of gone from criticizing the right, which I used to do, to criticizing the left just really because I've always kind of been someone who tries to seek out the bullshit to be frank like if I, yeah try to seek out the bs and i find that the most bs in our politics and in our culture is coming from this kind of woke identity politics thing and that's if you go to my channel you'll see a lot of content that is really harping on that and occasionally i'll also talk about my objections to trump and stuff going on on the right because i'm not particularly conservative either but i mostly focus on the extremeness of identity politics on the left all right okay um so the, I guess I made a couple of notes while you were talking about. Yeah, things. there's a lot there. That's about as quick as I can do it. No, no, <laughs> there, it a lot it, happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what really um, intrigued me about uh, how you described what you were doing before uh, was using the word operative. <laughs> like that's a very um, almost loaded word. It means you really believed in, um, I guess, the, the left. And then what you thought you were aligned with them with, like you had, you only mentioned the same sex thing, but um, it's interesting how we, we, we need, I uh, just as humans to belong in tribes, I think. And when it comes to politics, it's almost as if just because you share one value with, with um, I guess some major group, you feel the need to then think that you share all the other values. And I've noticed that in uh, the, not just US, I think it's a, it's just a human thing, but you mentioned that the, the rights, um, in, you, you specified in the US, the right is associated with fundamentalist religion. And I think it's important that you mention that because I think elsewhere in the world, everyone might be religious and then you still have that divide. So things that you might consider being specific to the right in the U.S. might not actually be the same elsewhere. I just think that that's uh, important to point out. But back to this operative term, I'm very curious about how you made that transition, um, logistically speaking. So did you just finish school or did you actually talk to people around you and say, hey, I'm changing my mind? Were there other people who you were interacting with, with in the work that you did who felt the same way you did? Like, was that an easy transition? Like, how could you talk more about that, that like tran transition uh, phase of yours? Because it, I like the what you were doing seemed um, to be, what did you say, the president of the college Democrats and then not just your college, which is already a, you know, a big deal because you're, you're leading people, you have a vision, you're inspiring people. And then to like change, like, how did people take that and how was it for you? And yeah, just talk about that for a bit. Yeah, it's a good question. It is kind of a blank space uh, that uh, I don't actually get a chance to talk about a lot, but it is it is something that could be interesting just because, you know, you asked if it was easy and the answer is no, it was very, very difficult. Transitioning from, I mean, when I say operative, like I said, you know, I was interning and working on campaigns, uh, major campaigns. These are campaigns for, you know, for Congress. Um, and some local stuff where I was. And I had interned in a congressional office. I was uh, really in the sort of young Democrats community in the state where I was living. I was actually a pretty known popular guy who a lot of people thought of as, and I sort of thought of myself as being somebody who would be a future leader in the Democratic Party. And I had this huge identity crisis, or I think it was, um, I was talking to Taya Smith, and she called it, I think, an identity quake, which I really, really like because there was this like mass. Oh, yeah, no, I love that term because it's like it's a great term, identity quake, because it really feels like an earthquake. Like there was just this like crazy. There's you know what? There, there's a meme of a Mr. Krabs like running and he's disoriented. That's what it kind of feels like. You've ever seen that meme or anyone listening? It's like I, I just basically what happened was 
2017, when things started to go really crazy, I was go. I was actually for the first time questioning whether or not I even wanted to be a Democrat anymore. Because when I saw like the violence and the anti-free speech sentiment started to come up, I was like, oh, this is beyond silly identity politics. This is like, this is dangerous. And when I saw but what happened I, at Evergreen College. Uh, pause you again. Yeah. Could you specify what you mean by violence, if you think of any specific uh, incidents? Oh, yeah. The UC Berkeley riots was the one where I was like, holy, holy crap. Like that was the one where Miley Yiannopoulos, who, you know, I, I, I don't agree with on everything, let's say, but it's kind of neither here nor there. He went to a, a campus to do an event, to do an event that for, at, from his end was going to be completely peaceful, uh, albeit certainly provocative. And there was a massive riot. People got punched. People got pepper sprayed. Um, it was the first time I'd ever heard of Black Bloc or Antifa. Since then, we've seen whenever Black Lives Matter kind of crops up around the same time, Antifa will start to go nuts across our cities. Um, there was an incident at Middlebury College where a professor had their neck sprained or something. Uh, it, a lot of that campus unrest in 2017 where people were getting punched, getting pepper sprayed, getting yeah, since that, I mean, someone in Portland was shot and killed recently, but that was more recent. All of these incidences of like Antifa violence and uh, campus rioting have been some of the most alarming things to me. And it made me have this moment where, kind of to get back to your other question of, of how I transitioned, it made me have this moment. Uh, it was actually right when I was graduating from college, so it was especially distressing because I had, I had actually put a lot of kind of stock in my life in, and a lot of energy into becoming a future leader in the Democratic Party, and that was how I envisioned myself. Uh, you're right to say that in being an operative, I really had invested myself actually in the Democratic Party, like a lot. Like I, I had mm -hmm. a Clinton Kane 2016 shirt and all the merch, and I gave a lot of my time in college. I, I did it all. I was in college Democrat student government trying to become a future, you know, politician or political strategist. And and I, uh, I had a moment where I was just like, if I keep going down this path. I could end up really hurting myself in the long run because I can see this becoming a situation where I have to pretend to be something that I'm absolutely not because the space that I was occupying, which was a very narrow space at the time, where I was trying to be somebody who was critical of the extreme stuff on the left, but could still exist in the left wing space. That was the, what I was trying to do towards the end of college, as I noticed things getting more extreme. That space became so narrow it, it eventually ceased to exist. You can't do that anymore. You just can't be on the left. Whether you're Glenn Greenwald or Dave Rubin or Tim Pool or anyone else who used to be on the left and used to try to do this thing where you were critical of the left as a leftist, that space disappeared. It just became impossible because the level of hate uh, that you would get and the lack of opportunities that you would get to actually engage leftists in genuine conversation where they weren't just trying to smear you it got to a point where it was just not sustainable. And I realized that I actually had to effectively leave the left. Uh, but I didn't want to become on the right really either. So I've just kind of occupied somewhat of an awkward space of, I guess centrist is the word, but I don't really love the word centrist because it implies that I'm a moderate on every issue, which isn't necessarily true. Mm -hmm. But uh, basically, I, I completely, I just stopped working in political spaces. Um, I now work in a different industry. Um, as kind of my day job and I do this show under I do my show under a name that most people could probably guess is not my real name I wish Veritas was my real last name it's a cool <laughs> name but it is not um, and so I sort of I, I'm, I'm somewhat of like a democratic operative in exile I guess is one way to, to, to brand it is that like I actually have to actively hide what I do now from people from my past mm. because I will say this the college Democrats are super toxic uh, they, I knew another guy who left, no, seriously, I know another guy who left the college Democrats like I did and left the democratic party and they were harassed him for years because he didn't really hide as well what he was up to. And they would like send stuff to his phone even like years later. Um, I don't want to say his name. I don't want to dox him, but when um, you say harass, pretty, you just mean sending messages like nothing serious. No, they would on, on well, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think they like went to his house or anything, but like they would constantly uh, do these social media campaigns and like create social media pages about how much of an idiot he was and like just uh, send stuff to him. And eventually, the, the, uh, there was an accusation that he had sexually assaulted someone, but it was worded really vaguely. And I ended up talking to him about it and he completely denied it, said there was no truth to it. And nobody ever. Uh, that was a more serious thing was that eventually um, somebody kind of said something about him doing something questionable 
uh, sexually and it was super vague and really weird. And I talked to him about it and he was like, yeah, this is just smearing nonsense. And this is somebody I was friendly with and I trusted his denial. Uh, and also there was never any evidence put forth to suggest that he had actually done the incredibly vaguely described thing that he had supposedly done. So that was a more serious thing. Um, okay. But yeah, he he would get messages to his phone from like anonymous people of just like really vile stuff though. Like, I hope you fucking die, like stuff like that. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I've sort of, he, he, that is just an example of a, another person who's kind of done what I've done, but there aren't very many of us because the consequences for leaving the left are very high. It's like leaving a cult. When you leave a cult, <laughs> uh, you face a certain amount of harassment. Uh, and I, I sort of try to avoid that a little bit by not giving too much of my personal details online. That's why I wouldn't say the name of my school earlier. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically I had to make, to answer your question, I had to make a very tough decision to give up on a career that I had put a ton of energy into to find a new industry, which I did. And I also moved halfway across the country. I moved away from the city that I lived in for a variety of reasons, but the, you know, the, the transition I was trying to make being one of them. And, uh, things have been great. I, you know, I have my YouTube channel, I have a new job, uh, I have a new girlfriend. I've, I've sort of restarted my life in the intervening time from 2017, which was really the crux of kind of my political awakening. And also the year I happened to graduate from college. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope that answers your, your question on kind of how that transition occurred. Yeah, it does. It answers it, uh, beautifully. And, uh, I think you got into, you know, not <laughs> really speaking to people from your past. Um, and if anybody else had gone through something similar, I will say that I think as you go along, you, you will have to integrate your past into your present. Um, but I think you'll be okay. I, don't, I personally don't think you should worry about it, not that I know um, these people, but you'll have a new support system. So whatever people decide to say or do to you, it's not gonna have the same impact as in if it were happening right right in the moment as it, as with your friend um, there's, a, there's a part of me that almost looks forward to it to be honest like if i ever were to get doxxed it's just like oh it's just out there now i can just fight <laughs> like if i yeah. ever were to get it's sort of like all right well now it's just i just gotta be me and just fight like hell so i almost look forward to it on some level i know it's like inevitable like eventually i will have to give enough detail that people will people will figure it out who who i am <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And things tend to be scarier when you're imagining versus they're, them actually happening most of the time. Yeah. The main um, thing is I don't want to, uh, you know, it's like all of the, the harassment and the personal consequences I'm kind of okay with. I really don't want them to contact my employer. That's the one where I get kind of more iffy. And I do think there are some crazy people in my past who might try, but that's, that's the main thing that I'm trying to see how long I can uh, keep that from being an issue. <laughs> okay. Well, good, good luck with that. I mean, I, I think you'll be okay no matter what happens, but I tend to think that <laughs> in general. Um, so I wanted to go a bit more into um, no one being able to be on the left, even though they are on the left and being critical of it anymore, because that seems to be the, the pendulum that, that turns an ideology uh, into a rigid form or version of itself. Um, and I guess we could just to give detail, talk about what specific things you were talking about. Um, but I wanted to make the comment um, that I do think, as you said, when you were starting out, it seemed that these features of a political ideology were more present, say, on the right, in terms of the, I would call it rigidity of the ideas that people have, um, social ideas. And now we're seeing that on the left, but I do think that, I think that any ideology can, you know, metastasize <laughs> into a rigid version of itself. Um, so I guess, could you talk about what specific ideas like you mentioned the the woke stuff and then as you're talking about that also um i'm wondering what your positions are on certain topics um say um ubi or immigration um obviously the identity politics stuff i, I can kind of guess where you go with that um so i i know i'm asking you a lot uh, right now but if you talk about what 
could you not push back on? And then also like where your ideas differ from the party line. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll sort of, I'm gonna answer both those questions uh, and I'm gonna start with, because it was basically, you know, what 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 did I find were kind of the things that you you can't push back on that eventually made that space of being a leftist who is critical of the left impossible to occupy. But then that first question is just an easy one to answer, which is just sort of like, what are my general political leanings as it pertains to economic issues, social issues? Economically, and this is interesting to a lot of people, I'm actually pretty far on the left economically. I have a very anti-corporatist bent. Uh, I think that the labor market in the United States appears to me to be a very much a buyer's market. I don't like that. I think that uh, one of my more controversial opinions, for instance, is that, uh, and this is something that I, I don't know if you'd call it left or right at this point, but I don't think employers should be able to fire somebody for whatever reason they want. I think they should have to have some kind of justification that they can show to a judge in a wrongful termination suit. And this has a lot to do with freedom of speech because people are getting fired for the content and their political opinions. But anyway, I have a very anti-corporatist kind of economic left-wing populist, Ben. I am not a socialist. Uh, I am a capitalist, but I am left-wing economically other than that. Um, so like UBI, I'm very interested in. I don't know if I support it 100%, but I'm like very open to it. And I certainly believe in having like a higher-ish minimum wage, maybe not $15, maybe closer to like, it, it, okay. it goes so state to state. I want to pause you because I, I, I have slightly strong opinions. So I think I'm very, don't like the government being involved in, in government, in um, social affairs. So when you're saying that you're not a socialist, to me, everything you're saying puts you in that box. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but I'm hearing how you describe yourself. So I just wanted to, to say that, but continue. Yeah, the, the socialism thing is interesting because it means kind of a different thing to everyone. But yeah, I generally don't label myself as a socialist. Um, I, I certainly don't think that the government should have control of the means of production uh, in the economy. Um, uh, and then... Uh, yeah, and then on, on the social stuff, um, I've become a lot more pro-gun over the course of the past few years. I used to be very pro-gun control, and then I kind of switched on that. But other than that, I mean, like, I'm... I'm sorry to interrupt again. It's just, this is also a topic that I feel kind of strongly about. Yeah, Why, what made you switch? Um, um, and I'm pro-Second Amendment, but what, what made you switch? That's a really good question because it was it's one of the few positions I've really changed because most of my positions are actually pretty similar to what they were with the exception of kind of the identity politics taking up more space in my mind. The gun thing for me for a while was I just didn't really see a legitimate reason for people to have assault weapons or, or you know, what is an assault weapon? That's kind of a big question. But just I didn't see a big reason for people to have machine guns and things like that. And I didn't really understand why we couldn't you know, in the name of public safety, make those things illegal and all that. Cause like, yeah, I don't think you should be able to own a tank. I still kind of believe that one. But in any case, as far as guns are concerned, I was having actually having a conversation with a friend and I was talking about the argument where I was like, why is there always this, you know, I, at the time I was anti-gun and I was sort of saying like, why do you always say that with my friend who is pro-gun, I was saying, why do you say that we need to be able to overthrow the government at any given time? Like, don't they have a monopoly on violence? And, you know, isn't there also that the point I made was like, isn't there really no hope that a guerrilla force resistance could ever even overthrow a tyrannical government? Like, isn't that kind of a hopeless endeavor because they have tanks and airstrikes? And he was like, no, he was like, actually, if there, if it came to that, uh, which obviously I, I hope it, to God it never does in the United States, but say hypothetically there was an Orwellian, you know, government t tyranny that needed to be aggressed in some way physically. Um, and, you know, let's say that Second Amendment rights helped an American resistance in that scenario. My friend pointed out that Guerrilla warfare is actually really effective at at least tiring out government forces. Um, that's basically, you know, to some extent what kind of happened in Iraq is that conflict kind of dragged out because we were fighting these kind of guerrilla resistance forces, which, yeah, they wouldn't really definitively defeat us very often, but they would drag out the conflict to the point where we just didn't want to do it anymore. And that also happened in Vietnam. Uh, to an extent, and it happened. It, it's ancient. It happened with the Maccabees, the, the you know the ancient Jewish uh, story of the Maccabees on Hanukkah. So it's like these. Basically, he pointed out to me that hypothetically, you could have a scenario where a tyrannical government could actually be kind of def sort of defeated by a resistance force, and then also. I have to say, like for years, I was like, oh, I could never see that becoming necessary. I don't think the American government will ever be so tyrannical that that would ever have to happen. I still hope and think like 80, 90 percent that that's the case. But as things have gotten crazier with identity politics and especially as big tech and the media have started to kind of create this like super Orwellian force 
of just like cracking down on people's speech. Uh, and as people like Kamala Harris, who I consider to be a very nefarious individual, has worked their way up through government, I've sort of become more and more worried that maybe, unfortunately, at some point there could be a violent conflict. And if that's the case, I do want the general citizenry to be armed. And I, 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 I sort of say that from a position of being sad about it. Like I'm not, I don't, <laughs> I don't love the thrill of war. I'm not somebody who wants there to be a war, a conflict. I, like I, I, I kind of hate to say that, but unfortunately I think it's a, at least in the long term, like over the course of the next 20 to 50 years, uh, I don't think it's going to happen in the next like five years, but in the, over the course of the next several decades, I, I don't think it's something that can be ruled out. And in that case, I'm kind of like, yeah, people should have guns. Like it just that they're there. I, I, so I, that's, that was kind of a big part of it was just seeing things get more tyrannical from my point of view and going like, yeah, unfortunately I do kind of want there to be at least a fighting chance for people to be able to fight back. I, and again, I, 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 I hate to say that I don't like violence. I don't like war, but if it did happen, I think it's good to know that they're, they're, there is some ability for people to arm themselves. Okay, um, I guess I'll just respond quickly. That, that's the thing about, like, say, the Second Amendment. Um, like you said, most people don't, don't want violence. Most people, it's a very small, as I understand it, um, element of society is, is criminal. And then but you have to be prepared uh, for that. So you have to prepare for the worst case scenario, even if you think, hey, it's not likely, you never know. And then I also kind of, I also wanted to mention that uh, as another example of guerrilla warfare is, um, so I'm from Jamaica and the Maroons in Jamaica were African slaves under the British empire who hid away in the mountains and were never defeated by by the British and it's just another another example it must be very common um that yeah people can can you know resistance is not futile <laughs> no and that was basically what made me switch my position yeah it was going like oh this actually could play out in that way at some point I just didn't think that was a possibility but my friend made a strong argument and it, it was one of the few times I had, I had like I actually had my position changed in an argument it doesn't happen very often <laughs> okay okay did you want to mention any other um policy positions that you have because i you know I want yeah i'm this one yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm pro-choice i'm for same-sex marriage um I, and, and when i say pro-choice i'm pro-choice for uh, up to a certain amount of time i don't believe in like on-demand third trimester abortions that's I, I don't know how that became a mainstream position uh but uh, yeah i mean i i would say generally if somebody just looked at my positions on paper they'd go like oh this looks like a reasonable liberal democrat is what this looks like and then as if somebody were to talk to me they'd probably think some pe most people who talk to me think i'm on the right just because i'm so in terms of order of importance the most important issues to me are free speech including free speech on the internet and um just everything that's going on with identity politics which is really more cultural than political i guess which is why right. it's it, of, it has to be talked about in kind of a different way. They're not necessarily political issues, so it's hard to say like, I'm. What is my position on Antifa violent? You know, it's like obviously I'm against it. It's like it's not really that kind of a thing. It's more about like my my thing is always my level of concern. I think is what more identifies my political leanings more so than my actual positions. And my level of concern is much much higher for the uh, sort of the the cultural dominance of the very rigid set of ideas that are woke ideas or identity politics. That's by far my number one thing that I'm going, oh, this actually has the potential to really bring our whole society down. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, could you talk more about what specifically you received the pushback on? You had mentioned, I, I think this might be related. Um, well, you mentioned incidents in your college. You mentioned violence being used to suppress speech. And you also mentioned the Caitlyn Jenner thing, which I kind of want you to get into, but I'll remind you of that. Yeah, I mean, basically the gist of it, and it kind of stretches out into every issue, is the free speech thing. Because what happens is I push back a little bit on things, whether it's what's going on with Black Lives Matter, what's going on with some of the transgender stuff, what's going on with... Uh, uh, certain things that have to do with feminism, or whatever it is. And anything that's connected to one of these kind of sacred cows, um, as, as Douglas Murray put it in his book, he literally labeled the chapters, I think he labeled them gay, woman, black, or like race, and uh, trans. And it's like anything that has to do with any of those sacred cows, 
if you try to have a conversation about it that doesn't toe this very, very straight line of just like you're in support of everything that has anything to do with any of these groups and you don't say anything that's even remotely critical in any way or nuanced in any way, there's this pushback that you get where you're immediately labeled a bigot and there are tons of social consequences that are levied against you that are not at all proportionate to what you've actually said, which may be very nuanced and actually made, you know, said in good faith. So my, the, the thing, basically the, 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 the pushback that I got would, I think one of the best concrete examples was around the time of the, um, UC Berkeley riot with Milo Yiannopoulos, that was kind of the biggest moment where I was like, holy crap, because I made an argument to my friends where I was like, hey, we may not agree with this guy, but we can't light the campus on fire when he comes to school. Like I was taking a, a, fro, a, a pro free speech position where I was like, we need to support the views of people that we find despicable or that we think have despicable views. Like people need to be able to say despicable things or just things that we disagree with, things that because I don't necessarily, I don't really think Miley is despicable, but you know, it just I, I, the argument that I made to my friends that we can't just label things we disagree with as fascism and then say that people shouldn't be able to say them and just start attacking them physically when they say those things. That argument was met with so much opposition. I was called a Nazi sympathizer <laughs> by people in the College Democrats. I was told to resign, which I did not, and I. Immediately, first of all, I, I'm Jewish, so like the Nazi thing just is very funny to me when people say that I'm a Nazi sympathizer. It's just like, yeah, okay, one of the one of the Jewish Nazis, sure. And then, right. um, yeah, it's just you know, people always you know, but it, that that's kind of the that's kind of the central thing is just making the argument to people where I was just like, people need to be able to say things that we disagree with, even if those things. Have, sort of are unflattering to a sacred cow group. Like maybe Milo Yiannopoulos or Ben Shapiro says something that is unflattering to the black community in the United States, to women, to trans people, to gays. Maybe they say something that is, or maybe it's not even unflattering. It's just not completely celebratory or in lockstep with certain identity politics positions like those of Black Lives Matter or whatever it might be. And we need to have space for that in the discourse. And just that basic premise was completely unacceptable to people that I thought were legitimate political thinkers in my kind of liberal democratic activist space. And to me, if you don't agree with that basic notion, you're not a legitimate political thinker. You're an ideologue. You're, you're a ridiculous fool if you don't support freedom of speech. Like that's like, that's the one thing I can, it's like the only thing where I can't have a conversation with someone is if they don't want to have a conversation. <laughs> it's like kind of inherent mm -hmm. is if you don't agree with free speech, that's the only reason that I will just refuse to talk to you is like, that is such a, it is the only position that I sort of right off the basis, just make a sort of presupposition of like, that's an asinine position. And then on the other stuff, it was, you know, with Caitlyn Jenner, I just sort of would make the argument to people where I was like, hey, this person, I, I, I very much support the notion that we should be kind and respectful and give dignity and basic human rights to everyone, including, you know, people who, uh, you know, maybe feel like their biological sex does not correspond with certain aspects of their personality or their psychology, um, you know, generally just referred to as trans people. But I challenged the notion when that happened and when other things were happening with the preferred pronouns and Jordan Peterson and all that, I tried to explain to people like, hey, my position on this is that people have a biological sex that is set in stone in reality. It is a scientific fact. Biologists can explain to people you know, the gametes and the, and the chromosomes. A, a good person to talk to about this is Zach Elliott, who I've had on my show, Red Pill Nation, um, that there are these things that are set in stone that are scientific fact. And we shouldn't orient the language that we use in terms of preferred pronouns and we also shouldn't orient the rules we have around sex segregated activities such as sports uh, where you have women's and men's leagues and yeah, maybe even bathrooms. You shouldn't necessarily just let people sort of decide how that's going to play where there should be a sort of like inherent binary of you have women's sports and men's sports. You have women's pronouns and men's pronouns, which correspond to their actual sex as opposed to just what they want them to correspond to. And I mean, you can kind of see my position is just like biological sex is real and that's going to have an impact on how we operate as a society, on the pronouns we use, on the sports that people are allowed to play, things like that. 
and maybe even the bathroom you're allowed to use. And people met that very mainstream position. I think that's generally a pretty mainstream thought that biological sex is real and that we should use it in our in our decisions. And that was met with this response of like, you're a transphobic bigot, like just that very basic, you know, notion where I, I tried to explain to people, I was like, hey, if there is a trans person who's actually suffering from like real harassment or violence, I'll be the first to protect them. I don't hate trans people, but I just don't agree with every aspect of trans um, activism. Uh, which in many cases has to do with the preferred pronouns thing because that gets back into free speech where i'm like well why should i have to use a pronoun that you tell me to even if it doesn't correspond to my uh representation of reality so for instance say a trans woman who is biologically male says please use she her pronouns i might say well when i use pronouns generally i use them to refer to somebody's clear and and obvious biological sex and in your case, those would be male pronouns. So I might just avoid using the pronouns altogether, or I might use male pronouns. And the response to that would, of course, in many cases, be extremely uh, abusive. Um, and uh, so that's just another example. And then, yeah, the, the Black Lives Matter stuff, I just happen to know that it's not true that police are slaughtering black people in the streets in the United States at an extremely high number. There are maybe five or six cases a year of really brutal police brutality, which are usually caught on camera. And the other ones that happen are usually things where there isn't enough information or you don't actually see what's relevant on camera and they're justified uses of force. Um, and, and so I pushed back on that just based on the facts. I tried to explain to people like, hey, it's actually not true that police are slaughtering black people in the streets, which I thought would be good news. I was like, <laughs> or, or, I was like, seriously, I tried to explain. I was like, I, guys, I have good news. America's not that racist. Like white police officers aren't just shooting innocent black people for no reason. Like, look, I'm like showing them the camera and I'm saying like, look, this guy actually did this when he got shot. Uh, you know, like I'm trying to explain to people like it's not that bad because it's this terrible thing you say that like we're just living in this country where black people, innocent black people are just being slaughtered. And it's like, that sounds ridiculous. And so I looked into it and I found yeah. the information and I was like, oh, it's not true. It's just not true. And statistically, it's just false. And then the same thing with the wage gap, with feminism stuff, it's like, that's not true. And again, I, I would like basically each time that I touched on an issue in relation to one of these sacred cow groups, one of these, what, what they call marginalized groups, <clears throat> each I would be met with, you're sexist, you're racist, you're transphobic, you're, and, I'm, and it would shut down the conversation completely. And I like having good conversations with people about these issues. And, and it, I'm more than happy to disagree with them and to kind of have that debate. And they can even get a little, it can get testy, but I, once I start getting called a bigot, it's like, what, what the hell? Like, how, is, how are we supposed to work anything out or, or come to any kind of consensus on this? Yeah. So basically, I have these fairly left-wing positions. Like you were saying, I almost kind of sound like a socialist. And it's like, okay, maybe, you know, like, <laughs> I'm a pretty left-wing guy, uh, but I just, when it comes to the things that are verifiably false, uh, as it pertains to things with like biological sex is real, no, this country is not a place where black people are being slaughtered for no reason. I, 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 I call balls and strikes and I say, yeah, this is maybe more of a conservative position in some way, but it is my position. And it just, it kills me that thinking America is not a brutally racist country and thinking that biological sex is real has somehow, thinking that free speech is good has somehow become right-wing ideas because I support free speech and the, the notion of biological right. sex. I don't think America is racist. I'll just be like, okay, I'm right-wing then, whatever. Like whatever, whatever you are, if you believe that biological sex is real and free speech is good, that's what I am. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever that is, is fine. Like I'm okay with that. Right. Yeah, it's funny how the, the... it's like all right. <laughs> Sorry, I missed I missed some of that. What? I was just saying, like people say it makes you a Nazi to think that like America's not a racist country and it's like okay then. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like Right. Yeah. Right. Um I was going to say it's funny how uh the the term right wing or left wing um, but as you know, I haven't, I've only been in the States for like 10 years. So like, it's funny how those terms swing and shift because really those positions aren't really say left or right wing. Um, and it just happens to be at a certain point in time that they are, <laughs> but it, it can change. And, um, you said a lot there and, um, I wanted to say that I really think you hit the nail on the head when you were distinguishing between someone who's an ideologue and someone who is a political thinker, because thinking requires you to be able to take criticism. And it's funny how people regurgitate the thoughts of other actual thinkers, because anything that is quote unquote progressive 
had to have come from someone towing the line and thinking differently. And then people down the road want to entrench it into ideology, which is, which is something um, different. And um, I, the reason I wanted you to talk about the Caitlyn Jenner thing was actually because I don't know the story specifically with her. So I understand the, the preferred pronouns um, stuff. And I think the people wanting to just to comment on this a bit, I agree with your position that, you know, there's sex is a binary and there's like sexual dimorphism in species. And then you have the now and again, or you, it's not like there's a discrete line between that. So you can say that sometimes you have anomalies or people, there's like a continuum between each category, but you can still say there's a, there's a general um, difference. And the, the thing about language is the language is the way that we um, perceive reality in a way. It's how we like describe everything around us. So um, when people try to, to force that on others, because language is something that develops organically. Most languages in the world, especially as I like the romance languages and English too, to a certain degree, they distinguish uh, very inherently between uh, male and female. And the fact that language does that tells you how basic that is uh, to human life. <laughs> um, and that springs, I would say, from biology. Um, and now that we're in a time, the modern world, where we can ignore that a little bit, it doesn't make that go away. And so when people try to mandate um, that sex is not binary, um, and they go to language. I feel like it. It is. It is a. It is an, an illustration of ideology forcing itself onto something that is organic. It's like you. You have to like mandate this thing because actually, if people were left alone, this binary is something that arises quite naturally. One way that I've heard it put, Desiree, that I think is is really great is that, you know you'd say it's really a bad idea and it's really terrible and Orwellian when, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of, of, of oncoming tyranny when people are saying that like my use of language, the words that I use have to reflect their self image or their understanding of reality. That's something that is really creepy because some, one, one's own use of language should always reflect their views and their representation of reality. It's just the idea of being honest, people being able to speak honestly. And the thing that's happened with the trans pronouns is people are basically saying your language must reflect my self-image, must reinforce my self-image, and must it must correspond to my opinions and my understanding of reality, no matter what you actually think. And that's a really, really scary, dangerous thing. Right. Um, and uh, just something else I wanted to briefly add was, so I went to a very liberal college uh, myself in the U.S. And they had these um, queer, I don't know, like session party thingies. And I would go to them because I was, I'm a very friendly person. So I interact with the different kinds of people. And this is me coming straight from Jamaica, which is very, very against that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm not like that. I'm a little bit artsy, um, even though I'm also um, not what people in the US consider artsy to be. And um, I thought it was interesting. I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll call you they if you want, or he, or I saw people doing that. And that's very different, um, as you're saying, exploring your own identity and having people sort of respectfully say, I will respect what you want to do when I'm interacting with you. That's very different from forcing that um, on other people. So I just want to, I guess, support your statement. Um, but I want you to describe the Caitlyn Jenner thing, I guess, to me, because I don't actually know know that whole uh, story, even though I understand the, the greater context. Yeah. So, I mean, basically with Caitlyn Jenner, what I would say is that it's just kind of was kind of the, it was the moment that things started to shift on all of the trans issues. Cause I think it was 2015 when Bruce Jenner, who is a biological male announced that he was changing his name to Caitlyn Jenner. And was it now a trans woman? And 2015 also happens to be the year that same sex marriage was legalized in the United States. And I mentioned that because it seemed like after Caitlyn Jenner, you know, came out, if you will, as transgender, as a trans woman, 
all of a sudden that was kind of a big enough news story just because the the Jenner and Kardashian family is such a big family in the United States. They're kind of like the closest thing to American royalty, unfortunately. But um, because uh, of the notoriety of that family and, and an individual in that family being transgender made people much more interested in trans issues and in sort of the trans activism like the pronouns. And it seems like after gay marriage was legalized that same year, I think it was both in 2015, there was a shift in sort of the LGBT activism space from gay marriage and issues relating to sexuality and gay people and bisexual and lesbian people to this transgender stuff, which is a totally different thing. I've always thought that it should be two different. Th I don't think there should be an LGBT community. I think there should be an LGB community for sexuality and a T community for the trans activism because they're two totally different things. One sexuality, one is sexual identity, if you will, or sexual expression or uh, gender identity, whatever you want to call it. And okay. so basically, all I mean when I talk about Caitlyn Jenner is, you know, after he said that he was a she, after Bruce Jenner, who was Bruce Jenner and was a, you know, an, an Olympic gold medal winning athlete who was male and who won those gold medals as a male, after he announced that he was a woman, was a trans woman, um, there was all of a sudden this humongous push. Uh, on college campuses and all throughout the country and in our culture just to really, really acknowledge and reinforce the fact that like he is a woman. So like for instance, Caitlyn Jenner was given the woman of the year award at some ceremony. I forget what, what award show it was or what magazine like called him woman of the year, but for what I, I forget. Well, actually Desiree, that's the, that's the question. <laughs> No, that's he, he, he became a she. That's uh, no, that's exactly right. That is the response you should have when you hear that Caitlyn Jenner won Woman of the Year is for what? What did Caitlyn Jenner do? Yeah. What Caitlyn Jenner did was be became a woman, and that was enough to become Woman of the Year. Around the same time, by the way, that a story came out that Caitlyn Jenner had while they were Bruce Jenner, or I think, or I don't know when it was, but they had been in a car crash where the other person in the crash had actually died. Who was at fault? I'm not 100% sure, but a lot of people were pointing out like this person might have killed someone uh, and is being, you know, given the person, the woman of the year. Award. But in any case, basically, that was a moment culturally where when, you know, when, when, a, when a biological male wins woman of the year, something is happening. Mm. <laughs> yeah, some, something something fucking what was going on like you know what i mean like by yeah. the way I, I, I can curse on here i apologize no, I, it's fine. I, I okay. but uh you know something's going on when a biological male wins woman of the year and that happened i think it was 2015 and i think again it was the same year that same-sex marriage was legalized so there was this shift away from the thing where that i agreed with completely which was gay marriage i celebrated when gay marriage was legalized i was like yeah good i'm glad we can move on from this but when but then immediately there was this transition over to the trans stuff, and especially with Caitlyn Jenner. And it, and it just got so weird where I was I, I was pointing out to people, I was like, why did Caitlyn Jenner win Woman of the Year? Like 70% of the people in this country wouldn't even call that a woman. They would call that a man who thinks they're a woman. I mean, that this is, I know it, it's rough. People hear that and they go like, oh my God, so bigoted. But most of the country thought this at the time and still a significant proportion of the country thinks this. But people are Sorry, being I, kind I, of- I, I want to- say something because I think I'm gonna I'm gonna forget. Um, first of all, I didn't understand the relation the that Caitlyn Jenner had to do with the Kardashians. So I didn't understand the popularity. So that's good to know. And then also um, this difference between LGBT sorry LGB uh, issues versus the T issues. Um, I think the difference is one the timeline. So I think um, lesbian, gays, bisexuals I think have had a struggle. Um, that finally ended with the same-sex marriage being legalized. I mean, that's just a symbol of one issue, one, one issue that symbolizes other struggles. Uh, I think that that has to do with people being allowed access into society the way that others are. And I think that's a very different um, from having your worldview pushed upon society, because I think that's different. And I understand that when, because I... I argued a lot actually um, in high school in Jamaica for, um, I guess people call it, we used to call it gay because they believe, you know, like a man made, God made man for a woman and a woman for man. And like that, that's like the mindset there. Um, so I understand that for some people, they saw LGBT, 
LGB issues as other people's worldview being pushed on them. However, I do think that's very different from the trans issue, which I think is actually people trying to push their worldview on others versus trying to be integrated fully uh, into society to have all the, the same rights as other people or not be discriminated against um, due to their sexual identity. I, I think I think it's very different. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a good way to differentiate is that all that is asked of society by the gay community is that they be allowed to marry each other and have access to the same institutions as everyone else, such as the institutions of marriage and adoption of children, of, of, of foster children, for instance, let's say, with the, the gay adoption issue. What is being asked by the trans community is you must agree with our worldview that one can change their sex by virtue of their feelings and thoughts which is a major thing to ask of people. And it is, it is the, the burden that is being put on society by the gay community is basically nothing. And that's why I agree with all of their issues. I think we should have same-sex marriage. The burden that is being put on society by trans activists, specifically when they ask people to use pronouns that don't necessarily reflect reality, is actually quite the burden. It's asking people to lie. It's asking people mm -hmm. to say something that they don't believe is true. And again, I totally agree with any activism that has to do with just giving you know, access to basic rights and protections for these individuals. 100%, everyone in the United States is entitled to basic human dignity and respect. And I will shake hands with and sit down to chat with any trans person any day of the week. I have no prejudice off the bat. But when it comes to the, the compelled speech issue, yeah, it is a great burden that is being put on society to ask people to go along with that. Okay. All right. I, I think um, that we've covered at least all the notes I have um, written down from your first you know, introduction about where you were coming from. Um, so since I'm thinking of ending it now, I'd like to ask you, since you moved from the left to the right because the left began to adopt characteristics of the right which i would call the ideological rigidity um, which manifests itself in censoring uh, speech and not allowing criticism even from people who agree with views um, on the left would you say that do you see that swinging again anytime soon or really far far away in the future that's a good question, um, because I've always said, like, if the right ever became the, you know, do dominant culture again and was engaging in fundamentalism, I would be against the right. I'm just always against fundamentalism in any form and dogma and, and tyranny and, and totalitarianism. Um, uh, in, in terms of, you know, what's going to happen to the course of the next few decades, I think the left is in there for a while. <laughs> I, it could be the remainder of my lifetime. I'm a young relatively young guy in my mid-20s, and I don't see how, at least in the next 20 years, I don't see how there's any kind of shift. I think that the left has been dominant since at least the 90s, and uh, I think it, it will remain dominant for at least another 10 to 20 years. Um, but then could it switch like in the in the like super long term and in, in, in several decades and several hundreds of years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it could switch to something that isn't necessarily even right wing. I mean, you know, the, the political world is much broader than that. It's not just left and right. So, yeah, look, what I would recommend to people is always watch out for totalitarianism and dogma from any source and stand against it. Because, you know, right now it just so happens to be this thing that can be described as sort of left wing identity politics. But certainly, could it come from the right at some point? Yes, but I don't think it will for a very long time. All right. Okay, well, <clears throat> I think that's it for the conversation. I have satisfied my curiosity because when you first mentioned that you were the president of the College Democrats, but you, then you'd like change, and I was like, I was like, wow, that must have been a transformation and a transition. And thank you for sharing it with me and with the audience. And uh, do you have any words before you go? Yeah, I just want to thank you for having me on, Desiree, and I'm glad I could satisfy your curiosity. I, I think that my story is the story of actually a lot of people, but it's not told very often, people who've moved away from identity politics on the left uh, and had to you know, s suffer in the process um, to an extent. Uh, I just want to say to everyone who's listening, you know, please check out my podcast if you enjoyed my commentary today. It's called Red Pill Nation, and my YouTube channel where you can find it and other content for me is called. It's just Scott Veritas. It's my 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 fake name that I use. <laughs> so yeah, check out my YouTube channel, check out my podcast, and thank you so much to you, Desiree, for having me on. I really enjoyed this conversation. 
you're welcome and i enjoyed it too thank you everyone and uh don't forget to support the channel at just looking up loud.tv support i hope that you have a good day and i will talk to you soon bye